You're listening to teaching from the Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Me? I'm a bold dude. I ain't trying to control you, but control B. That's windows full. That's a window G and the pin flows smooth like the wind so free. I told you, you can't hold me. I'm a roll through like Shinobi. Got that old juice like Ginobili. Got a pulse? Thought I OD'd on this old school onslaught. I'm on top nonstop. These thoughts pop bombs drop. Need cough drops. (laughs) Sorry. Thoughts pop too fast for my vocal cords. Move fast to the local courts of rap gas. He's a local boy. I mean, snap, go and post a boy. This cat, he's a joker boy. But no bad catching this overjoyed kid's past. The crisis, my focal point. Good morning. Welcome to Castle Hills Christian Church. <laughs> so glad to uh, see you guys this morning. What I just did isn't really part of a sermon, right? It's interesting how we have a certain structure of things, a certain way we anticipate things are supposed to go. Like, think about the last time you wrote a paper. For some of you, that was 30 years ago. For some of you, that was last night at 2 in the morning, getting it in before your crunch time. Uh, Not that I did that in college, but, you know. (laughs) But think about it. you got to have a certain way to do things, right? you got to start with your thesis. you got to start with, uh, with a paragraph talking about what you're going to talk about in the rest of the paper. Last time you read a magazine or a newspaper article, you probably anticipated something the same uh, way, that there was a certain structure. When you read a book, you anticipate that there's going to be some sort of character development. You anticipate there's going to be a scene setting, right? Because that's the way it's supposed to be. And then we think about like speeches or sermons. Like You're supposed to start a certain way. And even with spitting some crazy hot fire like I just did. Even with that, I didn't break the mold, right? That was my attention getter. Hopefully I got your attention. But like that's part of the mold. That's part of the structure. You're supposed to have that as part of a sermon. In the New Testament, a lot of the letters were like that too. A lot of the letters, actually every single letter almost, had a specific structure that people anticipated needed to be done. If you look in the book of Matthew, the first gospel, the, uh, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus, which is the history of his ancestors, since he goes straight into his birth, and then goes straight into Mary and Joseph and Jesus fleeing to Egypt, and then coming back to Nazareth, and then Jesus' baptism, and then Jesus' temptation in the desert, and then his ministry. Matthew has a certain structure, a specific set of ways he's clearly setting up that he's talking about Jesus. Then you look in Mark, and in the book of Mark, his first words are the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think you know what that's about? Yeah, it's about the good news of Jesus. In the book of Luke, Luke has a paragraph where he sets things up. And he says he's writing in order to write an orderly account for you, Theophilus. He has a specific audience. He says he's writing about Jesus and writing it in order to have an orderly account of what happened in the life of Jesus. Very clear and evident. The book of Acts was actually written by Luke. It's it's sort of a sequel to Luke. It's Luke part two. Uh, And at the beginning, Luke recaps what he said in the book of Luke, mentions Theophilus again, and he previews what he's going to talk about in Acts. Good structure, good job. 
You look in the Pauline letters from Romans all the way to Philemon, every single one of those letters starts with the word Paul, saying who he is, who he's writing to, and what he's writing about. In uh, Philippians, it says Paul and Timothy as if they were co-authors. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, excuse me, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, it's Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy as co-authors. But every single one, the name of the author is first. Same with James, uh, the Petrine epistles, which are First and Second Peter, and Jude. All of them start with the name of the author and talk about uh, what, what the letter is uh, intended for. And the Hebrews is the other one we haven't mentioned that isn't a Johannine book, which is something written by John. Hebrews starts with an affirmation of the Messiah. It quotes a lot of the Old Testament and talks about how Jesus is truly the Christ. He's truly the Messiah. And it sets up the book which talks about how Jesus is worthy of being elevated to be the Christ. And it talks about how to be disciples. It's a great structure, a great way to, to point it out. John does something a little differently. Now, we think John the Apostle probably wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. That's five books, right? But it's kind of confusing because John was a pretty popular name. In fact, there were five Johns just in the New Testament that we know of or mentioned. Uh, one of them was John the Baptist. And he was probably the most famous John, probably even more famous than the Apostle John. He was Jesus' relative. He baptized Jesus. He was the voice of Elijah crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way of Jesus. And then you have uh, someone like John Mark, who we don't really call John. We call him Mark, the author of Mark, but his name was actually John. You have Simon Peter's father, whose name was John. We don't know much about him, except that his name was John. Uh, and you have a John on the council of Peter and the apostle John in a trial in Acts chapter 4, which we'll talk about today. We don't know much about that one either, but we do know this is very evident that John's a very popular name, right? So if you hear John, you may be kind of confused as to which one it is. You obviously have John the apostle as well. He was also known as the presbyter. Uh, John the Presbyter or the Elder, John the Revelator, and John the Evangelist. So we think John wrote all five books, John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. At any rate, there's very, very, very little dispute that the Apostle John at least wrote the Gospel of John. I'm going to stand by the stance that he wrote all five, but he at least wrote the Gospel of John. And I want to read the first part of that, and many of you, I'm sure, can probably quote that, or at least recognize it when we read verse 1 of John chapter 1. Uh, it's a pretty famous verse, and I'm going to read it the way that I feel like John probably wanted it to be read, intended for it to be uh, accepted. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, John might not have the rude flow or dope rhyme scheme that I had at the beginning of the sermon. Um, you're laughing. Uh, just wait till my album drops. So. <laughs> Keep you posted. Um, but John, John is he's throwing down here. It's, yes, you could say that John talks about light and dark, and it's sort of setting that up, but so did every other piece of literature at this time. 
You could say that, yeah, John's talking about the Word and how the Word was with God, and he's talking about Jesus and his gospel, and so he's setting that up. But at the end of the day, John is preaching like a mini-sermon here. John's like, by the way, before I even get into what I'm going to talk about, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is the Word, that the Word was there in the beginning, that things were created through him, and that he is the life of all of mankind, and that darkness has never overcome him. John is throwing down. He is bold. Last week, we talked about James, John's brother. And uh, we know James is bold, too. In fact, I know Ronnie mentioned it, that their nickname, James and John, was Boanerges, or the Sons of Thunder, right? We know their father's name was Zebedee, so it wasn't just actually saying what their father's name was. That'd be a pretty sick name, though. Like, who's your dad? Thunder. Uh, But no, it's, it's a nickname, they're Boanerges, the sons of thunder. They're obviously bold, and really, they kind of earned it. Um, James was probably older. We know that because James was mentioned first. I think of my older brother, uh, Brett. Even those who know me better would never, ever say Clark and Brett. I've never heard that said. It's always Brett and Clark. I'm always the mini, the mini one in the comparison, right? Um, but even like, especially back then in that culture, it would have been a respect thing to make sure enlist the older ones first. It would have been very, uh, it would have been very much a respect thing. And so we think James is probably older. We know James died first. We know he died as a martyr. Uh, and John lived a very, very long life. I mean, he had uh, some uh, persecutions as well down down the line in his life. But uh, at any rate, both were very bold. And they were mentioned together almost exclusively um, until James died. Like, they were the same character in all of the Gospels. There was never James, there was never John, there was James and John, right? They're the same person. In the book of John, you see a little bit of uh, individualistic character traits, but that's because John wrote it, right? (laughs) Um, But they essentially seem to be almost the same character. And they were both bold, in fact, they, they had this one time where they were really bold. They asked Jesus for a request, and the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all recorded it. John didn't. I think it's because he was embarrassed by it. Uh, but in, in these Gospels, there, there's a story where, where the Boanerges, the sons of thunder, approach Jesus and ask him for a very bold favor. And so we're going to read about that, and we're going to read Mark's account in uh, chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's pretty bold already. And Jesus said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Wise. Right? Not, oh yeah, sure, what, what is it? Just, well, what is it, right? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right and one at your left in your glory. That's almost the most bold thing that they could ask for. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And then they said to him, we are able Like, these are bold, bold statements, a bold couple of brothers coming together. I mean, James and John already knew they were part of the inner circle of Jesus, 
right? Jesus uh, has these circles around him. And, and when you see Jesus, you think of Jesus in the middle, and you see this big, wide circle, which is like the Pharisees and the outside world. Um, really, the Pharisees could have even been further than that if I had room on the screen. Uh, but he really excluded the Pharisees. Then inside that, of course, you have his friends and acquaintances. You could put his family in here, Mary and Joseph. You could put uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the, si- the siblings in there, John the Baptist. And then you have his inner circle, the disciples, right? His closest 12 friends, the people who are with him in everything. And inside the disciples, there was an inner, inner circle, Peter, James, and John, his three best friends. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the mountain uh, when he prayed before his trial, before he was crucified. He took them to the Garden of Gethsemane. He took them during the transfiguration so they were able to witness uh, what was going on. He took them into the house of Jairus when he healed Jairus' daughter. Peter, James, and John are the inner circle, the inner circle. And James and John knew this, but they were bold enough to, they weren't even satisfied with that. They were trying to exclude Peter. They were like, Jesus, let us sit at your right and your left. And they weren't like, well, Peter can sit in the back or, you know, Peter can be over there with the rest of the guys. No, we want your right and your left. James and John are bold. And Jesus tried to warn them that the path that they were following was hard. He said, are are you able to bear the cup that I bear, to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And Jesus is talking about his persecution, his death. Are you Are you able to bear what I am about to bear? And boldly, whether they knew what they were talking about or not, James and John said, we are able. We know eventually James did die a martyr. We'll talk about that a little bit in a bit. A couple couple other stories that are really fun for me, for James and John. There was a man who who was rebuked by James and John because he was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. Um, and they came and told Jesus, they're like, hey, Jesus, there's this dude out there. He's kind of crazy, but uh, he was like, casting out demons in your name. And uh, we stopped him. So <laughs> we're good. And Jesus was like, no, like, if they're not against us, then they're for us. Why, why would you do that? But they were bold in doing that. Uh, another story, Jesus was rolling through Samaria one time. And as he was rolling through Samaria, the Samaritan city did not accept him. They sort of treated Jesus as an outcast, which was kind of common because Samaritan cities didn't often accept Jews. But James and John, hey, Jesus, these people, they're not accepting you. Can we pray and have God send fire to consume the city? Is that cool with you? And Jesus is like, no. (laughs) What is your issue? (laughs) But they were bold doing whatever they thought was right in the name of Jesus. Another other ways that John specifically was bold, he possibly referred to himself as the beloved disciple. In the Gospel of John, there are a few times. Most famously, while Jesus is on the cross, he looks down, sees his mother and his beloved disciple, and he says, brother, your mother, mother, your son. In other words, take care of each other uh, after I pass. And it seems as if John is labeling himself the beloved disciple, Right? So now he's even cutting James out of the deal. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm Jesus' best friend. A little sibling rivalry there. Uh, John wrote Revelation and sent it out to people, right? Just to have that imagery. And a lot of, I know a lot of the, 
the literature was actually taken from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Uh, but to have, have the visions that were, that were told in Revelation and to put that out, a lot of people could have thought John was a crazy person, especially being that he was exiled at this point on an island by himself uh, on Patmos. So John could have been seen as a crazy person just for writing and putting out Revelation, but he was bold in doing that. And then John was stalwart against the council with Peter. Uh, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in this uh, as they were preaching the word. Peter and John were at the temple in Jerusalem, and there was a lame beggar. And the word for lame here doesn't necessarily mean he was completely paralyzed, but it seems to be that he didn't have any function in either his ankles or his feet, and he could not walk. He hadn't been able to walk his whole life. In fact, we're told he was over 40 years old and had never been able to walk. And so uh, this man is carried to the temple uh, every Every day, probably, about the time that Peter and John are going in to make a sacrifice. Which means, by the way, it's a pretty busy time in the temple, so lots of people are coming around. And the lame beggar sees Peter and John and asks them, Can you give me some alms, please? Can, can you give me some money? Uh, because I can't work, because I'm lame, and he's a lame beggar. That's what he's been doing his whole life. And Peter tells him, What I have to give you isn't gold or silver, but in the name of Jesus... Stand up. And most of the time, we see a healing of a lame person in the New Testament. We see the person stand up and walk. Uh, this guy did not. This dude stood up and jumped. He was leaping for joy. In fact, he clung to, J to Peter and, and John. He clung to them. Have you ever, uh, like, pet a, a stray dog, and then all of a sudden you couldn't get the dog off your heels because you, you pet him on, on the wrong day and he was looking for love. Like, that's what this guy, I don't know if Peter and John were, were excited about having a third guy in their party, they're trying to make their sacrifice, but we're told this dude is clinging to them, like stuck on them, glued to their hip, as we would say. And this is causing a commotion because other people recognized the man as the lame beggar, saw him jumping up and down with joy, walking, jumping, praising. And so a crowd gathers, and Peter and John start preaching about the word. It was in the name of Jesus that this man was healed. Jesus, the one whom you crucified. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And commotion comes and comes and comes. And the council comes together, the, the, the family of the high priest, they come together and they throw Peter and John in jail for a night. I guess it was too late to deal with it. They just threw him in, not, in jail and like, yeah, hey, we'll deal with your, tri your trial tomorrow. But for now, just sit in jail for the night. And whenever they came out the next day, the council asked Peter and John, by what power... By what power do you heal this man? They're not denying that the man was lame and that he was healed. They're, what power do you think gives you the right to do that? Peter and John say, by the power of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one you crucified. Well, I didn't make them too happy. But they couldn't really say anything about it. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the council doesn't really know how to respond. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, so the council saw, well, these guys, they're fishermen. They don't really have an education. They may not even be able to read. These guys don't know, they don't, they don't know much. They're uneducated. 
But yet they speak with such boldness, with such confidence. They had to have been with Jesus. They had to have seen something in order to stand by what they're saying so boldly. So they warned them not to speak in the name of Jesus again. They couldn't find any fault with them, but they said, okay, but, but don't do it again. Don't speak in the name of Jesus again. And here's what Peter and John said in verse 19 and 20 of Acts chapter 4. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak, we cannot but speak of what we have heard. They were bold. They were told not to do it again. They were in trouble. They'd already been in jail for a night. They were on trial. They weren't backing down. We know what we've seen. We know what we've heard. We know who the Christ is. We will not back down. We must speak of what we have seen and heard. We're told that they were further threatened. We don't know how they were further threatened, but we're told they were further threatened, and then they were released. And immediately from there, they came together with some other believers, and they prayed, and they recognized that there was opposition, people who didn't want them to preach the word of Jesus. And so they came together and they prayed. And here's part of their prayer uh, in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We are called to be bold, as John was, as Peter was, as James was. If you recognize, there's a pattern with the inner, inner circle of Jesus. Peter, James, and John are all the boldest disciples, the ones who aren't willing to get their hands dirty, the ones who are ready to tell the world about Jesus no matter what the situation is. We know that James was martyred. He would die for his faith in Jesus. We know that Peter was martyred for his faith in Jesus. We don't know exactly how John's life ended. We know he got in trouble several times. We know he was exiled for preaching about Jesus. And we know that if we take Jesus' words seriously about bearing the cup that he bore and about being baptized into the baptism he was baptized into, we know that John may have very well been martyred as well. But they didn't stop. And they recognized, they knew that was a threat. They knew that they were, Peter and John were already in prison once and they didn't stop. James and John had already been told, you are going to bear the cup that I bear. You are going to be baptized into the baptism with which I am baptized. And they didn't stop. They continued to preach in all boldness. Are you bold? Are you bold like John? Like Peter and James? When I look at my life, a lot of you in here know me a little bit, surface level, acquaintance, shake my hand. You, know I'm prob you probably know I'm the children's minister here. Now you know that I spit hot fire, I have some wicked flow. <laughs> if there's one other thing you know about me, like the first thing, is that I love sports. 
right? I love basketball, specifically the Spurs. I love sports in general. Anytime there's a sports conversation, I'm jumping in, right? I know stats ESPN doesn't know yet. I know trade deadlines. I know rumors. I know opinions. I have rankings. I have this, that, and the other. I love sports. And if I look at myself honestly, I can tell myself the one thing people know about me is that I love sports. How wrong is that? It doesn't, it's not wrong to love sports, but the fact that the one thing my identity is wrapped up in is that it's sports, people know that I love sports? Why can't I be bold like John? John started his gospel off not even like setting up what he was talking about in his book. He was bold. Jesus is the word, and he was there at the beginning, and he will be there at the end, and everything was created through him. He is the life of all of mankind. So how can I ever, how can I ever let the darkness overcome the light inside of me? What are you known for? I'm not known for what I should be. I need to be bolder. I need to be like John. I need to be like Peter. I need to be like James. I need to be bold for Jesus. When I meet someone new, the one thing they should know about me is that I am a Christ follower. When I walk into a room, I shouldn't be excited to talk about my hobbies or my interests. I should be excited to talk about Jesus Christ. He's the one thing worth being bold for. Let us pray the same prayer that they prayed. Let us go out and speak in all boldness. When opposition comes, don't run from it. Embrace it. Be bolder. Pray for more boldness. Because there's nothing in this world that is worth being bold for more than Jesus Christ. Do not let darkness overcome the light.